Well, praise the Lord. This morning, we're looking now at the life of Elisha. We made a transition last week from Elijah to his servant, for his predecessor, you could say. Or, wait, no, predecessor is the successor. successor. Yeah, that's right. Get that backwards. His successor is, or maybe, you know, I think I mixed up protege, protege, the protege, the one who would come after. Um, We looked a little bit at his life last week, and we saw that his name means God is Savior, which I'm sure was a comfort to him in some difficult times when he needed some, you know, God to move and to save them out of difficulty, and they needed to, to meet with the Lord, and so, yeah, well, it's important to us now, too, you know, to for God to be our Savior, to meet with us in difficult times. And, you know, really, I was just kind of thinking about these two prophets. You know, I like studying the last days and the different things. And, and you see just some of the events of the last days and how the church is going to go through persecution and tribulation and difficulty and you know, correspond to some other events like the appearance of the Antichrist and he's going to make that seven-year agreement. And in the midst of that agreement, he's going to break that covenant and offer the abomination of desolation. And it's going to start a very difficult period for the church. Many are going to be martyred and experience difficulty and persecution and so forth. And But many will be qualified to be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. You know, and in the middle of all this, and we won't get into it too much, but in the middle of all this, the scriptures describe a group of people who are taken up to the throne, and you know, it's in Revelation 12, and, it, and it's kind of like a, a picture of a group of mature believers. It's like they've qualified, man. They've, they've finished their mark, and now they don't have to go through. You know, they've finished, and the, the rest are down here, that, but they get to qualify and go up to heaven and rest with God. And so we can kind of understand that to mean those who have finished their course, kind of like Elijah. He finished his course, and he qualified to be taken up unto God, and he's kind of a picture of those types of believers. And he followed the Lamb where he led him, and he's taken into his heavenly reward. But you know, the Israel wasn't left alone. He had Elisha there. They had Elisha there to be a prophet, to be a shepherd to them in difficult times. You know, there were still some who had not bowed the knee to Baal, and they, they needed guidance and leadership and the word of the Lord and so forth through those, those times. And the Lord had placed Elisha there who performed double the amount of miracles as his master because he received the double portion. And so we can kind of have comfort in the last days, God is going to be with his people through everything that the church has to endure. And he's going to provide leaders, prophets, shepherds that he will use to shepherd and preserve his people in the last days as they follow him. And so the Lord is looking up to raise up Elisha's around the world. You know, we can learn from his life because as we're coming into these times, we want to be used by God. We want to be prepared and made ready. And so we can see how Elisha, that's kind of hard to get these guys right. I always want to say Elijah. 
because I've been doing it for the last 10 weeks, but now I got to say Elisha, you know, because God wants to raise up in these times of needs, agents of preservation who can help in preserving God's people through, through the word, through the miraculous. I mean, it's going to be a different season that we're coming into, but, but just through who they are. And so I want to just consider some of the areas that God prepared Elisha, how God worked in him, and some of the things we can see from Scripture. One of those areas was very practical. And we kind of considered this a little bit last week. Um, let's read the First Kings 19, verses 19 through 20. And so Elijah, here he is departing from the, the mountain. So he's heard from God and he's about to depart. Uh, departed from Sinai, he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing 12 yoke of oxen before him. He was with the 12th. We talked about how 12 speaks of governance and, you know, God was doing that complete work within him. And, you know, and uh, it says Elijah, Elijah passed by him, cast his mantle on him. He left the oxen. He ran after Elijah and said, let me pray thee, kiss my father, my mother, then I'll follow you. And he said, go back for what have I done to what have I done to thee? And so as Elisha receives the call of God, the mantle from his master is put upon him. He asks a question. He says, let me kiss my father and my mother. Now that basically, that was an, an act of reverence and honor. I mean, the sense of honor was very great in the Middle East. It still is now, in fact. I mean, it, that like it's just ingrained in their culture even even to to save well not save face but that's more of an asian thing but like the thing that that they're honorable is an important thing you know people want to be be held as honorable and they will you know if a guest comes they'll spend their last penny and more even get into debt to honor the guest and do what's honorable and providing food and so forth from them you know and so he elisha says let me go in honor my father and my mother, then I'll come. Now Elijah kind of gives that a curt reply. Uh, Go back. What have I done to you? But you know he had done a lot. He had put his mantle on him, right? He would, you know. Speaking of the anointing, the power of God to fulfill His call. But there was coming a time when Elijah was Elisha. Doing it again. Elisha is going to be tested. And so he'd have to be able to withstand the discouragement and pressure as his master had stood. And so the master is giving him a little taste of that, that, you know, discouragement and say, go back. What have I done? But what I wanted to focus on is Elisha honored his parents. He had a right relationship. And that was really the key. He had a right relationship. And that's so key in life that our relationships are right because the Lord places a huge value, a tremendous value on our relationships, how we relate one to another. Because when we relate rightly, we encourage one another. We affect one another. Even in the spirit, sometimes it's not even talking, but when there's right relationships, we just encourage one another. But when there's wrong relationships, it can hinder one another. It can affect our lives. And so, you know, in reality, God ordains every single person that comes into our life. And and so you could say we meet strangers, but yet it's not just by chance. 
God ordains who we meet, who comes into our circle, you could say, and you know, he knows who we're going to meet, who we're going to have interactions with. And God's looking at our heart to see how we're reacting with each one. And so God's concerned about our relationships. One, one area I wanted to look at that, or one example we could see is what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 5. And we looked at this in detail, right? The Sermon on the Mount. But I wanted to just read this and bring out what Jesus is speaking about relationships. Matthew five twenty three and 24. You know, and he's showing how wrong relationships can affect our worship unto God. If you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, has anything against you, leave your gift, go your way and be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. That's kind of like an extreme statement when you're thinking about it. In the eyes of Israel and a Jew, there's nothing more holy or important than coming and giving your your yearly offering to the Lord or an offering for whatever reason to, to make a sacrifice or so forth. You know, you can look at the Levitical offerings and there's several reasons why, but there should be nothing that should stand before you in the offering of giving that. And yet here's Jesus saying something more important than our offering, than what we can do for God. It's having right relationships is relating one to another. And so, we're seeing a picture of an Israelite at the temple. It's a holy offering required by the law. And the Lord says, there's something more important. If there's a relationship that has a rift, right? If there's something in a relationship where things aren't right, things aren't flowing, there needs to be restoration. And you know what really jumps out to me when I read this is, the reason, like with the details he gives. He says, if your brother has something against you, you think about that for a minute. Sometimes you would say, all right, if someone's done something done to me and I need to, my heart's not right, so I can't offer an offering to the Lord. Okay, I can understand that. But it's the other way around. If someone has something against you, then stop make it right before before we even continue make it right if someone is having trouble giving getting over something we've done something we've said or there's just something that's not right in that relationship jesus is saying make it right repair it be reconciled and because he cares more about relationships than sacrifice which is a hard thing to understand because in us, we're like, Lord, what can I do for you? Those acts of offering are important to us, but yet Jesus is saying they are important. You're going to offer it, but the relationships are more important. And so it's always good to evaluate our relationships if there's anything that needs to be cleared up, right, between us and, and someone else. And, you know, what's what's wonderful is that God is more than, happy to speak. You know, we don't have to just sit there and analyze, man, did it right? What did I say to someone or have I said anything to someone? He reveals it. He'll speak and show it. 
because he desires us to be right with people. But ultimately, it's so that we can be right with God. We were just talking with someone and just talking about how the Lord works in lives. And, and they were, we were talking to someone who had a difficult life before they were saved. Right? They, they had a wrong relationship, you could say. Didn't relate well to, to certain people. And, and af, after this person was saved, the Lord began to speak and say, I want you to make things right with, with these people. And it was as if it was hindering her from going on with God. It was keeping her from going on. And she didn't understand it. She was, she was saying, I thought I was forgiven. You know, you're covered by the blood and, and it's under the blood and it's in the past and forget about it. But then she realized, you know, actions still have consequences. Even if God forgives us, we still got to fix sometimes the consequences of our actions. And so she was like, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, go make it right. Go apologize or what, you know, whatever it took. And she, and she said, when she did that, a burden lifted off of her. And at that point, she went on with God and she's being used by God today. And so, you know, it's so wonderful because really God wants to lift a burden. Sometimes it's from our heart. Sometimes it's from other people's heart. And sometimes they don't even know it's there. It's just tension, conflict. And it's like, Lord, how can I bring reconciliation? Sometimes it takes a lot of meekness and humility. Sometimes you didn't even mean it, anything by it. And someone took offense for whatever reason. God, God does not differentiate. He says, go make it right. Because he values right relationships. Now, now we have to balance that because sometimes people can get offended no matter what we do. And so that's, God is not saying you have to kind of walk on eggshells, you know, in that sense of being subject to whenever someone feels bad, you, you know, you're subject to that. If you understand what I'm saying, I don't think I'm communicating that very well. But, you know, we don't want to be under bondage in that. However, we want to do our part. We want to make sure that it, as far as everything we can do, we're in right relationships with others, that, there's, that they're, they're clean, that there's no blockage. And so Elisha had that with his parents, right? He had that example with his parents, and uh, that allowed him to respond to the call of God when it came. Now, another thing we know about this period of Elisha's life is that it was a time of training, kind of like an apprenticeship, right? I mean, something about an apprentice, they don't go to normal college. If someone's an apprentice, they're not taking college classes or anything like that. All they're doing is they're basically like glue to the person who's the master in that trade or in whatever, and they just sit there and watch them. They might not even do anything. They're just there watching them, and they might fetch this and fill that and clean this off. And but they're just absorbing the you know all of the lessons of the master. And during that time, sometimes they don't they're not doing anything. They're just watching and learning and soaking it in. And and so it's very clear from Scripture that Elisha learned his call in a very practical manner. He. He actually just became the servant of Elijah. 
and he became and it became very well known as the servant of just sitting there soaking in learning hearing but as far as the day-to-day stuff he helped him wash his hands helped him <laughs> clean up you know cook dinner whatever he probably you know put up the tent whatever they whatever he had to do day to day and we we see that um from an example in first kings all right uh this was a scene where Jehoram king of Israel invited uh the king of Judah Jehoshaphat to come and he said let's go fight against Moab because they've rebelled against me we're not really sure why Jehoshaphat decided to do that it was probably a mistake but and it had consequences down the line but that's a different subject but Jehoshaphat asks is there a prophet of the Lord available to to speak and to give direction because um, he wanted to inquire of, of to see what the Lord would say and so in second Kings 3:11 he asked that question is there a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of him and one of the king's servant answered and said look here's elisha the son of Shaphat not the the prophet of God who's performing mighty miracles but his reputation reputation was Here's the one who poured water onto the hands of Elijah. Here's the one who served his master. And so we see like a very practical reputation that that was formed. Even after his master is gone, he is known as someone who served his master. Not just surpassed him, but he served him. And he served him well. And it's to his credit, isn't it? You know, that it's almost as if his heart was just to please his master, to do a good job, and to please his master, Elijah. But that also reflects the heart of Christ, doesn't it? Because, you know, and I when I say that, you know, obviously we're to be servants of Christ, but the heart of Christ was to serve his father. In John chapter 8 and verse 29 he said, he that, that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Just as much as Elijah or Elisha was a servant to Elijah, the son was a servant to his father. He wanted to do those things that pleased him day by day. And that's where his heart was. And so you, you get the idea that, yes, Jesus came to save us, he loved us while we were yet sinners. He gave himself for us. But there's also the component. There's nothing he wanted more to do than to please the heart of his heavenly father. That brought him joy and fulfillment. And we got saved in the process. And so we're very grateful that Jesus loved his father so much that he came down and died for us. But he imparted that that concept into his disciples too, didn't he? And he did it in a very practical way. He didn't want there to be any ambiguity for what us disciples were supposed to be and how we're supposed to act, right? Because we know what he did the night before he was crucified. He put off the garment of a rabbi, of a teacher, and he girded himself with a towel and he washed their feet. And, you know, he, he wasn't just putting on the garment of a servant he was putting on a garment of the lowest servant on the totem pole on the on the rung right if you were the if you were the foot washer you got the stinkiest job there was because back in the day everyone wore sandals and it was hot and sweaty and 
You know, you wanted to come in the house and clean your feet off. Where is the foot washer servant? Come wash my feet. But he wanted to show them the way to joy and fulfillment. And you say, well, where's that link of joy and fulfillment and washing people's feet? Well, in John 13 and verse 12, he explains it to them because he wants them to understand. He says, so after he had washed their feet and he, and he had taken his garment and was set down again, so he put back on the garment of a teacher and he wanted to instruct them. And he said, do you know what I've done? Do you understand what I've done? Um, you call me master and Lord and you say, well, for I am. And so if then your master and your Lord and master has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And there's a, there's a big component of making things right. Sometimes reconciliation is coming and washing them. You know, even if you haven't done anything right, but if they have something against you, sometimes the only way to reconcile is to be that humble one and wash their feet to, to bring that cleansing. And so if I, if I, then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet for I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that sent that is sent greater than he that sent him. But then here's, here's really where it keys in verse 17. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Happy are you if you do them. And so really, this is the key to joy and happiness. It's the obedient heart of a servant. That heart that wants to serve and to cleanse and to make things right in relationships. And that brings releases joy and satisfaction. And so I just get the picture, or we can get a picture here of Elisha as, as one who is satisfied to serve his master. He's not necessarily one determined to be greater than his master. It's like, just wait till Elijah goes on. I'm going to do greater than him because I'm going to ask for double. You know, you don't get that, that sense from him. It's like he just wanted to please him. And he knew what would please his master and the Lord was to ask for double because that's what he needed. He's like, if, if Elijah did it with that much anointing, I'm going to need way more anointing to, to hit the mark. We need the double to be servants. So Elisha is not simply content to serve him, but it's to please him. And in serving his master, he came to know him. He came to know him. He, he knew the anointing on his life, and that was imparted into his life. And we can see that concept with the Apostle Paul. He was writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he said this in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10. He says, You have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my, my charity or my love, my patience. You have fully known all of those things about me. And the Greek word here for fully know means to follow. You have fully followed me in all of these areas. Kind of that thought of like walking alongside. He was just there. 
He was the apprentice. And he served him and followed him and was absorbing all of those things. So when it came time for Timothy to stand on his own, he was basically just a copy of Paul because he had been a servant and absorbed everything from him in serving him. And so he just kind of walked with him, followed him, imitated him in his teaching and his conduct until he almost became just a reflection of his master. But that's the goal, at least in the sense of following Christ. And the key is willing to become a servant, to follow him wherever he leads us, however he guides us. And teach us in each situation, you know, and every time we obey, we submit, we serve him and allow him to speak to us, to work in us. We become more and more conformed to his doctrine, to his, his way of life, his, his manner of life, his purpose, his faith, his love, his long suffering, patience, and so forth. And that's our goal, right? That's our cry is to become like him. You know, when I was preparing this, the Lord kept reminding me of Pastor Bailey in one of his sermons. And I know I've shared this a couple of times before, but it was one of the his old sermons. I think it was an old, old convention or an old sermon or something. And he was talking about the tabernacle of Moses and he was relating the three different sections, the outer court, holy place, and holy of holies. And you know, in the outer court, it represents those who are saved. They're, they've come into the kingdom they're there, they're those little children. But those went on, who went on into the holy place, they are young men, they've overcome the wicked one, but another aspect is that they're servants. They're learning to serve, to obey, to yield their will and to follow the holy one. But then the most holy place represents friends, the friends of God, because they fully know. You know, you, as First John says, you have known him who's from the beginning. It's like that, that eternal one. There's a sense of knowing him. And, but the, the, the point I wanted to make was in order to get to that place of knowing him who's from the beginning, you have to pass through that place of serving him. That that's like the, the avenue. We, we, there's no way we can pass through to, to become friends of God until we serve him. Because as we serve him, we, fully, we come to fully know him. In the difficult situations, in teaching you know, others, and you know, as, as Jesus says, blessed are those who do his will, and then teach others to do so because they shall be great, the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so as we focus on being a servant and following him and obeying him, Continuing, all right? So part of the servant is just continuing in what he says to do in difficult situations and not giving up and crying out for his grace to continue to persevere, to fully serve him and obey him. But in doing so, we come to know him and we fully know him. As Paul said to Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine because you followed me. You walked alongside me serving me all of those years and now I can have joy because you know me and I trust what you're going to do and what you're going to say 
you know, and that's kind of a good picture. Paul could could just have full trust and confidence in Timothy, and it's thought that he Timothy became a bishop in Ephesus and was over the church there. But Paul could have full confidence in him because he he knew well, he's going to say what I saw, said and he's going to make decisions of what I decided. And it's the same thing as of Christ and us. We want to come to that place where Christ has that full confidence. And when I say confidence, it's according to his grace and his word and all the abilities he's given us. But we can come to that place of being his servant and then being his friend because we've come to fully know him. So we see how God was working in Elisha, preparing his heart to follow the, follow his master through right relationships, making sure everything's clear, nothing hindering the call to move on. And that's what kind of struck me, as, even as I was talking with, with this dear, dear lady and she was just sharing her testimony, it, it's as if when she got relationships right, it set her free to go on. When the relationships weren't right, even though it was on their part, it's like there was a hindrance. She had to get that right. And then it just shot her on to go on with God. And, and it's like when we get our relationships right, it propels us on to follow him and then to serve him, you know, as we fully serve him through obedience, sometimes requiring great humility and patience, but we f- come to fully know him and that becomes our joy and our satisfaction. And we are transformed to become like him because we fully know him. And Father, that's our cry. Lord, our desire is to fully know you. Lord, to, to come to that place where we can know him who's from the beginning and, and to have you as our friend, O oh God. And Lord, we just pray that you would do that work within us, Lord. Lord, you're looking for servants in this last day. You're looking for Elishas who will serve you and follow you and come to fully know your doctrine and your ways and your character and what you're like so that those things can be formed in us. Lord, we just submit our lives to you. Lord, would you even show us, Lord, if there's areas in, in our relationships that you want us to, to make right to, so, that, so that there's nothing that's between us, Lord, so that we can be with those people and we're free and clear. Lord, would you do that work within us? Lord, even give us grace because it takes a lot of grace to, to work out relationships. Lord, would you just do that, oh God? And oh, bring clarity, bring joy, Lord, as we serve you and surrender to you in these areas. Oh, would you cause us to enter into the joy of serving you and following you wherever you would lead us, we pray. We just thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Pastor Jason.